Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Good morning. Buenos dias. Como están todos? That means good morning. How is everyone? It's always such a pleasure and an incredible privilege to gather together on the Lord's Day and come together and worship Him. You know, everything that we do here is in worship of God, whether it be Sunday school, whether it be the Sunday school teachers, whether it be through song, or whether it be through giving our, our, of our money, um, and then preaching the word. Everything that we do here is in worship of God. And what a great privilege it is to, to be here with you all and to be able to do that together. We're going to continue our lesson in Colossians, our series entitled Christ is All. You can go ahead and flip over to Colossians 1. Before we get started reading... I want to um, put a thought and a question in all of our minds. Your prayer life, your personal prayer life, is it occupied by requests for more things? Is it occupied by requests for more blessing? Is it occupied by requests for more, more possessions, more money, a bigger house, a nicer car, uh, a, a different career, uh, a promotion, more friends, a wife, a husband. What occupies your prayer life? What things are immediately relevant to your heart that when you come before God, that's what pours out of you? Oftentimes, I think that a lot of our prayer life looks more like asking God for the American dream. You know, several years ago, many years ago, that phrase was coined, and everybody wants the American dream, and I, you don't hear it as much as you used to, but certainly that's ingrained in the way that we think, isn't it? That we want the American dream, we want the house, we want the family, we want the cars, we want to be debt-free, we want to be able to vacation to Disney World in the summer, and all of those things are okay, they're not evil in and of themselves, but are they worthy of your life? Are they worthy of you spending your whole life to achieve the American dream? Or is there something much more for you? As we begin to read through our passages to, uh, this morning, we're going to read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And I want you to have that in your mind. Uh, because I think we're going to see this morning what was immediately relevant and pressing on the heart of Paul, who was under the direction of the Holy Spirit to pray for for the church at Colossae. So if you would, stand with us as we read the Word of God. It's Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, uh, sorry, I lost my place, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning, Lord, opening your word to hear from you, opening your word to understand what it is that you would have us do, what it is that you would have us live like, what kind of thoughts, what kind of desires, what kind of affections you desire for us to have, Father. Lord, I ask that this morning that I would serve as nothing more than just a vessel for you to communicate through. I pray that through your word, God, that you would sanctify us, that you would sanctify us in truth, for your word is truth. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So as we start off looking at this passage, Paul is reiterating what he stated in verses 3 through 8. You'll remember from last week that Paul was saying that he's always giving thanks to God for the Colossians. For what? For their faith and for their love and for um, the fact that they received the message of the gospel. And because of the hope that is contained in the gospel, that is founded in the gospel, it is bearing the fruit of faith and, uh, and love in their life. And so Paul is reiterating here, he says, from the day we heard, Heard what? Heard that message. Heard that they have faith in Christ and and love for all of the people because of the hope found in the gospel. Now, he goes on to say what he's praying for. He says that we have not ceased to pray for you. What is it that he's praying for? You know, I asked you, what is it that is immediately relevant in your heart to pray for when you come before God? So with Paul, was he coming to God and saying, you know, I always pray for this church at Colossae. I I just pray that you guys would increase in numbers. I just pray that you guys would be able to build a new building. Or I pray that since Colossae at that time was known for an exporter of, of wool, is he saying, you know, I really hope that your wool business would really take off and you would get new customers and you'd be able to have new jobs for more people and, and sell more wool so that you can retire at 65? Is that what Paul is saying? Or is it nothing like that at all? What's immediately pressing on the heart of Paul as he prays for the Colossians, understanding that they've heard the message of the gospel, Understanding that they have been born again, understanding that it is bearing fruit in their lives, now what Paul is praying for is that they would be full of the knowledge of God's will. Boy, that's totally different than what we pray for, isn't it? Now, let us not look over this as though it were a small matter. You know, sometimes we we talked about it last week, just like with the greeting 
uh, you know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Sometimes we skim over things in Scripture as we're reading, and we miss the treasure that is found there, and we miss the meaning and the point and the, the heart of the writer. So let us see here that Paul is saying that he's always praying. This gives us the sense that he's laboring in prayer for the church at Colossae. And that will be reiterated later on as we continue our study. You'll see that, that Paul struggles for this church, hoping that, that God will continue his good work in them. And so his prayer, the thing that's immediately pressing on his heart, is that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, in this day and age, we think of God's will, and that always means, you know, like, I, I just need to know God's will for my career choices, or I need to know God's will for, for my this or for my, for my that, and it's always just this mystical, ambiguous will that we never can find out, we can never attain it, we never understand what God's will is for our life. And then we have a lot of popular teaching today saying, you know, you just need to find God's destiny. You just need to walk in God's purpose for your life. And there we are, it's sitting in the crowd saying, well, what is it? How, how do I find it? What is God's purpose for me? What is God's destiny for me? Or in this situation, what is God's will for my life? And where would I attain such knowledge well, first of all, as we see, he says that it comes from spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, that word for spiritual means from the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit fills us, gives us the ability to be wise about things and to understand what it is that God's will for our lives is. Paul will explain this to us in a little different way. And if you want to flip over to 1 Thessalonians 4, it's the very next book, Colossians and then 1 Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3. Paul is writing a similar thing to the church at Thessalonica. He says in verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, that's not really mysterious, is it? That's not really hard to figure out then, is it? It's stated clearly for us here. God's will for our life is sanctification. And then for the next several verses, Paul will go on to explain how to be sanctified and what sanctification is. But for our purposes, let's suffice it to say that sanctification is growing in holiness. God's will for all of our lives is that we grow in holiness, that we grow in Christ-likeness. Now, Paul is telling the church of Thessalonica, listen, you already know this. You already heard this message. You've already received this message. Just the same way that he told the church at Colossae in verses 3 through 8. He's saying you already received this message. You've already heard this message. You already know what I'm talking about. Now keep doing it. Grow 
in it. Walk in these things. Why? Because God's will for your life is that you be sanctified. Romans 12.2, you know this verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here Paul shows us that the way that we will be able to discern God's will for our lives, which is our sanctification, but what it looks like in real life, what it looks like on a day-to-day basis, a case-by-case basis, a a real-time, real-life decision-making basis, is that we be transformed by the renewal of our mind. How can I grow in sanctification If I don't understand it, if I don't know what it is that God expects of me, if I don't understand how to think biblically, that's what he's saying is we need to think with the renewed mind. And herein we find a mark of Christian maturity, thinking biblically, being able to discern between different situations in your life to find what decisions, what actions, what behaviors, what patterns, what habits and hobbies would be pleasing and good and acceptable and perfect to God. It's thinking with the renewed mind. Now let us understand that it takes time to grow in this. We live in the flesh We have this body, we have this old way of being and thinking that that honestly needs to die. It needs to be put to death daily. And that's why in some translations you'll find in Romans 12 too that he says, daily be transformed, daily renew your mind. Because your flesh, your sinful nature never sleeps, it never gives up, it is always constantly working against you because it's passing away, because it's perishing physically. But as we see here, God's will for our life is that we grow in sanctification, which looks like us growing in our renewal of the mind, being transformed by the renewal of our mind. But What's the point of all of this? Why should you want to desire these things? Why should you desire to grow in sanctification and and grow in, in this transformation of the mind? Why should you personally want this? Well, verse 10 answers it for us. Look with me. In verse 10 he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The point of this, the point of living this way, the point of doing these things is that we would walk in a manner worthy of God, that we would live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, this is not to suggest that we have to earn his good graces. We could never earn God's love for us. We could never earn God's grace but we do have to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. Back in 3 through 8, he says that you are already bearing fruit of the hope of the gospel. So for those of us here who have been transformed by the hope of the gospel, the message for us here is now live like it. 
Now live like your people of God. Now live like a Christian. But how can you do that if you don't know what that means? And that's why Paul's prayer for them is that they be filled with that knowledge. That they be filled with the understanding of what it looks like and what it means to be a Christian and a child of God. Let us conduct ourselves in a manner that glorifies God. I was thinking about this and how to explain this in a different way of being worthy and being pleasing to God. And, you know, Gabby and I often think about and talk about having children of our own. What a blessing that would be. And I think about that little boy, because we're going to have a boy. Um, I think about that little boy or girl. And we wonder, I wonder, what's, what is that child going to be like? I know that we have several people in here who grew up in a household where your father was a pastor, so this is not a personal attack against you. But I grew up around some PKs, some preacher's kids, and they were awful. They had terrible reputations. They were very, very bad, bad kids. You would never believe that their parents were pastors. And so I think about that now with, with where God has placed me. You know, our child would be a PK. But would they have that reputation? That, oh man, you know, if you, if you want to find something bad to do, go talk to him or talk to her. You know, if they did, if, they, if that child did live that way, I would still love that child but the way that they acted wouldn't be pleasing to me. You who are parents in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll always love your child, but sometimes the way that they choose to live their life, the the decisions that they make, the things that they do to occupy their time, the way that they use their money, you know, whatever it is that they aren't pleasing to you. And in the same way, there is a way for us to live if you are born again, if you have the Spirit of God within you. You are a child of God, and He will always love you. But there is a way for you to live that's not pleasing to Him. There is a way for you to conduct yourself in your time on this earth that wouldn't bring a smile to your Father's face. And what Paul is praying here for this church is that that would not be them. That instead, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they could live a life that's pleasing unto God. So how does one live this way? How can we live in a way that's worthy of the Lord and pleasing to Him? Well, we see from this text that there are four marks of a life that is pleasing to God. We see it right here after the colon. It says, bearing fruit in every good work. That's our first mark of a life that's pleasing to God, is a life that bears fruit. Listen, your good works do not save you. You have and you do good works because you're saved. I'll say that again. Your good works do not save you. 
You produce, you bear the fruit of good works because you're saved. The good works are the product of salvation, are the product of the Holy Spirit working within you. It is God's intention that those whom he saves bear good fruit. It is his plan, it is his will for the elect. In Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God's point in saving you, his heart in saving you, is that he would save you from your sin and put you to good works. That he would take you out of the world and put you in his kingdom and put you to work. This is what he has ordained for every single Christian. There is no exception. It's not just for the pastor or the missionary or the Sunday school teacher. It's for anyone who bears the name Christian. You have been saved by God to do good works for his glory. Every last one of us. In Titus 2.14, it says it this way, that he has saved us, that we would be zealous for good works, that we would be passionate about it, that we would be excited about good works, about doing the work of the kingdom, working unto the Lord. That is the point of him saving us. He prepared these good works before the foundations of the earth. So when you were born... He had this in mind, the day would come where he would save you. And whenever he would save you, he would put you to these good works that he already had planned for you. Now, what does that look like in your life? Well, Galatians 5 is a good start, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, kindness, etc., etc. But also, growing in sanctification. But also, growing away from the world and into Christ-likeness. God has never put anyone on his team for them to sit on the bench. Not once. Not ever. God saves you from sin and for good works. And guess what? That's pleasing to God. Living that way is pleasing to God. Now the second thing, the second mark that we see from this text of a life that is pleasing to God is one that is increasing in the knowledge of God. You see that at the end of verse 10. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord promises us that if we will seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. Seek him with your whole heart. The implication here is that finding God is not for the churchgoer. Finding God is not for the faint of heart. Finding God is not for those who are half-hearted. Finding God is not for those who are okay with Sunday and Wednesday. Finding God involves your whole heart. 
But the promise there is that you will find him. It is a certainty. There's no doubt about it. You will find him. On Wednesday nights, we're studying the attributes of God. Our point in this, our our desire here, is not to be filled with intellectual knowledge of God so that we can just rattle off facts as though God has a trading card. Our desire here is to learn personal facts about God. We want to know him, what he's like. That's why the title of that series is, What is God Like? What is he like? Is he just a a loving God and that's all that there is to know? Or is there more? Almighty God has paved the way for you and I, just regular people, to know him. Why would we yawn at that? Why would we roll our eyes at that? Why would we put that on the shelf? Why would we choose anything other than that? You see, in most of our churches today, we find that there is just this mindset that we are just so okay with good enough. We're so okay with that's good enough. I did this much. That should do it. We don't take that mindset towards salvation, do we? What if God only saved you from four of your sins? Well, that doesn't do, that doesn't cut it, does it? But see, God Almighty has paved the way. He sent his son that you may come to know him. And guess what? You coming to know God is pleasing to God. It pleases him whenever you desire to know him. Brothers and sisters, let us not wade in the shallow waters of modern American churchianity. Let us dive into the deep end. Let us seek God that we may know him for ourselves. Now this is, of course, no easy task. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a real desire from you to not settle for good enough, but to chase after God with your whole heart. Now, the third thing that we see here that is a mark of a life that is pleasing to God is in verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, there's something that needs to be said here. I'm a big fan of the English Standard Version of the Bible. Everybody knows this. Some of you have gone out and bought one. But here is an issue in the translating, because those of you who have a different translation, you'll see that with joy is not in verse 11. It's in verse 12. It's saying, joyfully thanking God. And there's a footnote here in, if you have an ESV Bible, that says the same thing. That says, hey, joy is probably with verse 12. So I'm not here to defend the ESV. I don't know why they did that. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to look at joyful thanksgiving, okay? But for this one, for the third mark of a a life that's pleasing to God, we see that it is a life of patient endurance, He doesn't pray for 
growth in their church or for spiritual power, power that they may be able to go out and, and perform miracles and, and lay their hands on people and heal them. You know, that's a really popular trend today, too, is that we think that spiritual power means going out and being able to shut up the heavens so that they don't reign anymore. But what Paul is showing us here is that spiritual power equals endurance and patience. Well, that's way different than what we think of it as, is it not? But whenever we understand that endurance is no easy matter, patience is no easy matter. Anybody who's ever been in traffic for longer than 2.3 seconds understands that patience is not easy. That's why we need the power of Almighty God to strengthen us, that we may be patient, that we may endure. Now, this here, when in the topic of endurance... This is where we see quite often the separation of the sheep and the goats. In this life, we are promised suffering. We are promised that we will have a hard time. Jesus said it himself. And right there, in the midst of suffering, so many people fall away. When things get tough, when the heat is turned up, they say, well, this God thing doesn't work, and they walk away. And listen, that can be understandable to an extent, right? Because who wants to suffer? Who wants to go through hard times? Who, who wants trials? Who wants tribulation? No one. But we know that the testing of our faith produces much in us. In this patient endurance, people have said that suffering is God's most efficient means for sanctification. It's his most efficient means. Why? Because in suffering, in the midst of trial and turmoil and tribulation, you fall from under that weight to your knees before God, begging him for help. Begging him, please be with me. Please don't leave me. God, where are you? God, this hurts. Why is this happening? Why does it have to be this way? But for the child of God, the promise is, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is there. He is a very present help in the time of need. And the prayer for Paul to the church at Colossae was that they would have the power to endure. Whatever suffering it is, whatever it is, whether it be persecution, whether it be losing a family member, whether it be a diagnosis that you would rather not hear at the hospital, whatever it is, that you would be strengthened with power to endure, knowing that great is your reward if you fail not. And that ought to be our prayer, that we would endure. You see, Paul's prayer was not that suffering would end, but that they could endure through it that they could be patient and hold on through it all. 
And whenever we have been changed by the hope of the gospel, that hope is what we cling to in the midst of those darkness nights. Now, this is not to imply that this is easy and that you're just going to laugh your way through hard times. Of course not. The word endurance in the, in the Greek implies this pressure and this stress. It's this exertion that it's exhausting, that it takes every bit of your effort. And that's why the prayer is that the strength wouldn't come from within you, but the strength would come from on high. That God himself would fill you with the power that it takes to endure whatever comes your way. That when you stand before God, he would say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. There will now be no more tears for you, no more pain, no more hurt. Because you endured. Great is your reward. This will lead us to our last and final mark of a life that's pleasing to God is a life of joyful thanksgiving. We see that here in verse 12, or sorry, verse 11, leading into verse 12, giving thanks to the Father with joy, joyfully being thankful to him. This calls to mind James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters. A life that is pleasing to God is marked by joyful thanksgiving, regardless of what's going on in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because of the next statement. For he has qualified you to take part, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Church, whenever we grasp that the most important thing that God could possibly do for you has already been done, it will come naturally to be joyfully thankful in all situations. Whenever we realize that God has qualified you, he has made you worthy to be part of the inheritance of light. What is that inheritance? The inheritance of eternal life. That if you are his child, you've been qualified. Congratulations. Now you just endure till the end, until you cross over into eternity. Whenever we grasp that, joyful thanksgiving springs forth as though from a fountain. Because we will understand that this life is not about this life. This life is to honor God, to glorify God, to give him glory in all things at all times. And when we grasp that, joyful thanksgiving springs forth from us, that he would consider you I know me, I know my past, I know what I'm like, and that he would qualify me 
to be part of this inheritance? Are you kidding me? Yes, of course, we'll be joyful. Yes, of course, we'll be thankful. What more is there to want? God has already qualified me. Let us live this way, brothers and sisters. And let us understand in verse 14, 13 and 14, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice the language. Notice in 13, he has delivered us. For those of you who are in Christ, those of you who have been born again, he has delivered you. It's done. It is finalized. It is not in motion. It is not in process. It has been completed. When Jesus Christ said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it is finished. Your inheritance is secure. It's done. It's spoken for. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness. Think about the old life. Think about where you used to be. And he took you out of that. This word delivered means that he took you, he saved you from that and placed you in the kingdom of his son. He took you, he snatched you up and said, you're done here, we're going over here now. You were never worthy of being a part of the kingdom of light. You were never worthy of being part of the kingdom of his son. But he picked you up. He qualified you. He applied the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your bank account, wiping away your sins, and said, you're mine now. And guess what? It's done. It's already done. But let us also see that there's a tension here. There's a tension between the what's already happened and what's not yet happened. You're already redeemed. You're already forgiven. Now you need to walk in sanctification. You've already been applied the righteousness of Christ. Now you need to grow in your Christ-likeness. You need to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that is pleasing to him. Church, as we walk away from this place and Monday morning comes and you are tempted to throw this message out of the back door of your mind, let us call to mind the great work that God has done for us and then live like it. Why should you desire to live pleasing to God? Why should you desire to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? Why should you desire to increase in knowledge and, and bear fruit and be joyfully thankful and be patiently enduring through trials? Because he has redeemed you. Because he has forgiven you of your sins. That's our motivation. That is our great hope for those of us who are in Christ. The Christian life is one marked by growth, growing in our understanding of God's will for us and growing in our knowledge of God himself. This will lead us to bearing the fruit of good works 
in a lifestyle that is pleasing unto God. And when we inevitably face trials and suffering, we will be strengthened by God Almighty to patiently endure. And we will be filled with joyful thanksgiving unto the Lord. Let's stand. And we will pray and we'll be dismissed this morning. Oh, gracious God, we can't begin to be thankful enough for the good work that you have done. We cannot begin to be thankful enough for redeeming us, for transferring us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. We cannot begin to even understand the far-reaching impact of the work that you completed on the cross, God, but we want to grow in our ability to be joyfully thankful unto you, God. That it wouldn't just be lip service, that it wouldn't just be words coming from our mouth that we're thankful, but Lord, that our life would scream and shout for us that we're thankful by bearing fruit, by growing in our knowledge of you, God, by being patiently enduring through all manner of suffering and trials unto your glory, unto your honor, Father. I ask that you go with us from this place, Lord, that you keep the word that was given to us from Colossians this morning, Lord, that you would keep that fresh on our minds and on our hearts, that we would apply these things to our lives. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy with you all.